Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Oh no. Oh no. Why, 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 why? Why would Dan start a podcast with oh no? Because today, ladies and gentlemen, Thursday, May the 26th, off-season show number 34, is Sacramento Kings Day. Oh, no. The Kings went 30-52 and 52 this year. They did win five of their last ten ball games to claw to within four games of the final play-in spot. Actually, I think they lost ground over those 10 because the Spurs actually had a few wins towards the end of the year. It was the Lakers that were tumbling, 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 tumbling all down there with the Kings and the Blazers. Ah, the Kings. We got playoffs to talk about, but they're not going to take very long. We're at that point now because the, well, first of all, Boston-Miami went way under. So remember, we talked on yesterday's podcast about the idea of spot betting. And I thought the series was moving in the direction of an under, and I thought, boy, if it gets to 184, like, that was that was a super low one in the previous game, or whatever it was, 180-something. Uh, and then this one went lower because Miami shot 32%. Just keeps getting worse. Boston didn't play all that well. But they played well enough. 47% was good enough. They had more free throws, didn't make that many. Miami at least made their foul shots. But they just, I mean, you had a terrible game from Jimmy Butler. And so at that point, Miami was just, I I don't know what shot they had. Boston has a couple of guys they can turn to. Miami has kind of the one offensive guy with Tyler Hero still out. Kyle Lowry, useless. Max Struess was useless. I mean, that's bad. Someone's got to do something. I know Boston's defense is really good, but, like, you should be able to close your eyes and throw one in at some point. And again, like, Jason Tatum almost had a triple-double, but it wasn't like he shot the ball all that great. They just suffocated Miami again. Time Lord and Marcus Smart both played. Smart didn't look right. Robert Williams didn't really look right, but he was closer, I thought. Grading on the two. And so tomorrow we'll talk about the next one, back in Boston. Have we now moved the line too far to the under? Do we lose our opportunity to spot bet this thing? The answer is possibly. Dallas Golden State's an interesting one. Warriors favored by 7.5. That one opened, I believe, at 6 or 6.5. Let me triple check on that. I had it in my head, and then I thought I should really check on that. No, it actually opened at around 7, came down, bounced up. It's been, it's been bouncing back and forth a little bit. Total opened at 216.5. It's actually down ever so slightly off of that by about one point. So no no big adjustment on the total. And presumably late tickets will probably come in on the over on the total. So we'll see if that thing creeps back up to 216 at any point. I think the side, I think you'll see that money relatively split at 7 or 7.5. That's a pretty good size number. It's going to... You know, that, that's one where you could look at the underdog. Does Dallas continue this thing? I don't think so. This feels like the game where the Warriors finish it off. They were not at all focused in their last ball game. Would I lay seven and a half? That's hard for me to do. Even though playoff games have generally been kind of large victories. Yeah, that meant close games. What I'd rather look at is the way the totals 
have bounced around in this Warriors-Mavs series. I thought the first one would go over, and Lord knows the Warriors did their part to get it there. Dallas just couldn't get any shots to fall, so that one went under. Game two, where I was like, look, one of these damn games is going to go over, and it was game two. That one was a, a massive total, 243. Uh, Warriors scored 126 in that ballgame, but at the same time, once you see a huge game like that one, it kind of sets you up for a low-scoring next one, which you had. Playoffs, a game of overreaction. Golden State, Dallas, they beat him on the road that time. 209 was where that one finished up. And then the last ballgame went back over again, ever so slightly, which I think we talked about, that the pace had actually gotten there. I wanted to keep going under, but I, I felt like the line hadn't actually dropped enough, and it did creep up and over a little bit. And so, Oddsmakers pretty much left us the same line, which is their way of saying, we've got this one now. We're on it. You know, it's going to be like about 105 to 110 possessions for each team, which eh, was a little slower than that in the last one. Dallas shot the ball really well. But again, when, when one team or both teams or whoever, when they shoot the ball well, you're going to see that kind of artificially depressed number of possessions. That game was not that slow in Dallas. Slow-ish. Super low turnovers. That was good. So that made the teams really efficient. I do think, and, you know, we saw this in Golden State, the Warriors want to open it up a little bit more than Dallas does. So what wins the battle? The Warriors' home court, where they want to get it cooking, or Dallas wanting to ratchet it back down, make it a bit more half-courty, do their thing. Weirdly, the team shot free throws terribly in that last ballgame. These are not bad foul-shooting teams. I know Luka, as sort of the lead horse on Dallas, is going to kind of drag that team down because he's a mid-70s dude. Uh, Warriors are a good foul shooting team. Just so happened Draymond and Jonathan Kaminga and Kevon Looney accounted for 16 of their 26 foul shots in that last ballgame. So that pushed things. But Steph Curry and Jordan Poole are two of the best foul shooters in the NBA. Klay Thompson doesn't really get there, but he's also up there in terms of very good foul shooters. Andrew Wiggins also not that great, but whatever. Like, if you have three of the best foul shooters in the NBA, it sort of doesn't matter what the other guys are doing. Uh, getting sidetracked. Getting sidetracked. Point of it is, uh, Warriors probably close this thing out tonight. I think we all sort of agree on that. Seven, seven and a half is a really big number. I have trouble believing that they clear it, but I also would not lay Dallas because I think they kind of had their big one. Reggie Bullock hit six three-pointers. Dorian Finney-Smith hit four. Luka three. Kleba two. Dinwiddie two. The 23s in that last ballgame. That's just not happening again and not on the road. So... Yeah, lean to the Warriors, lean to the under, oddly enough, but not enough to do anything on either part. By the way, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. It's a sports ethos presentation. I'm going to keep yelling at you until you do it. I don't know. Did any of you guys actually go follow Fantasy NF or Sports Ethos uh, football feed? I think one of you did it yesterday. Come on, man. This ain't that hard. One of you, go do it, for goodness sake. Ethos Fantasy FB, Ethos Fantasy BB. Ethos Fantasy FB, Ethos Fantasy BB. Please, please go check out our incredible new football and baseball podcast coverage, football traditional coverage, including rank boards and news and all that stuff is coming as well. JP and Joe have been awesome, and I'm going to keep hitting you over the head with it until you do it. But at the same time, thank you guys so much for listening this offseason. I'm... Uh, 
pretty excited, actually, as I look towards next season by the fact that this offseason, I don't mention this, pull back the curtain just a minute before we transition from the playoffs back into fantasy basketball. I'm, I mean, the, the thing about podcast, post podcasting and doing a show five days a week is that you kind of need some kind of reinforcement, partial reinforcement. My dad used to, uh, may he rest in peace, used to talk about why he golfed because of intermittent partial reinforcement. Because one out of every 20 shots he hit was just so nice that then he wanted to hit another one. And that's kind of what podcasting is, but it's even even more rare. That is to say, my intermittent partial reinforcement is that I want to see basically each month on a calendar year be a little bit bigger than the, that same month the previous calendar year. Now, some of that you can throw out because the NBA mucked up their schedule. So, you know, season December 2020 was the start of one season, and then October 2021 was the start of the next one. So you can't really compare those. You could probably compare like February to February, season over season, because they were kind of the middle of it. And, you know, there's some gray area there. Point is, generally, so right now, like this May, I'm basically comparing to June of last year. Because June is uh, was the second month of the playoffs last season. May is the second month of the playoffs this year. And already... We're almost 20% ahead this May versus last June. And there's still five days left in the month. Albeit two of those are weekend days. But today, tomorrow, Monday, weekdays, more listenership on weekdays. I don't know what it's going to end up being when all is said and done. I do know that it's going to be substantially larger than last June. Like if we're already almost 20% ahead... Could it be thir- Could it be a thirty to thirty five percent jump? Maybe. And so then, as I start to think, Mal, what if that translates into next year? If we have a thirty to thirty five percent listenership jump, season over season, I will be leaping for the moon. So thank you guys. All of that is a very long winded way to say thank you for listening this off season. It's incredible that you guys are still doing that. You guys are degenerates like me, and I love you for it. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Sacramento. Minimal. Minimal space. Minimal. Jeremy Lamb's $10.5 million off the books. Josh Jackson, who apparently they were 
paying something to. I had no idea that that was the case. Uh, that's off the books. And then it's mostly a a cavalry of very, very small deals. Trey Lyles uh, has a team option for $2.5 million. They'll probably pick that up because that's really a good price to get on a, a decent... Like, he's not a good basketball player, but he's a decent backup four or five. He's a stretch four or five and would make a lot of sense. Uh, Shemizi Metu has a $2 million team option. Sort of no reason not to pick that up because it's so affordable. So then the guys coming off the books would be like Damian Jones at about two mil, Jamius Ramsey uh, at one and a half mil, <laughs> Emmanuel Moutier, they, I think they paid about a hundred grand to this season. So mostly it's Jeremy Lamb. Mostly. De'Aaron Fox, his contract goes up by a couple mil. Harrison Barnes' contract actually goes down by a couple mil. Demonis Sabonis is locked in at about $19 million for the next two seasons. Rashawn Holmes, who I don't know what they're going to do with him because between whatever was going on between the ears, we know he's going through a bunch of family stuff, and then the fact that he just got buried behind Sabonis, he has an unbelievably delightful $11 million contract this coming season that you know, other than the fact that he's then signed for a couple more seasons after that, if he exercises an option, it would be three years left on a deal. So that makes it a little tougher to move. But like, there are a lot of teams out there that would be, that should be salivating if he can show that he's sort of right and ready to play. Because Rashawn Holmes is a solid, solid big man in the NBA. Is he a championship caliber center? No, but if you have other really good players on your team, like you could probably move Rashawn Holmes in for uh, Robert Williams in Boston and there'd be minimal drop-off. Robert Williams a little better defensively, Rashawn a little better offensively, like that type of situation. If you have those other, I'm not saying that this is something that would happen. I'm just saying if you have other pieces like Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, that kind of thing, Rashawn is the kind of guy that would make sense. So what other teams are there in the NBA that would look for something like that? The Lakers, maybe, because we know they don't want to play AD at center, assuming he's still on the team next year, which I think he will be. Can any of these teams, like, just roll through them in your head quickly. What if Phoenix doesn't have DeAndre Ayton coming back? What if he goes somewhere else? That's a team where Rashawn Holmes could go back and make a lot of sense. He was really good there. And what if he was playing alongside Booker and Chris Paul? There are many examples of this. Again, not that easy to trade someone with multiple seasons left on their deal, but they can't, Sacramento can't sit on him. He's useless to them behind Demonis Sabonis and not getting to do anything. And they can't play those two guys together because neither one really has any range. So unfortunately, Rashawn Holmes is a mess unless he gets traded this offseason. Uh, and then you've got guys like Justin Holiday, expiring deal. So, okay. Dante DiVincenzo, restricted free agent, so that contract could end up going up by quite a bit if they don't just do a qualifying offer. Mo Harkless has one year left. Terrence Davis has one year left. Alex Len has one year left. The Kings have, uh, actually, in my estimation, a really difficult decision to make as to whether or not this is a season that they want to try to push and go for it a little bit. Although They also have the number four pick in the draft. Because they actually have a number of really interesting tradable veteran contracts that are all expiring this coming year. Like their payroll, without Dante DiVincenzo and without exercising the options on Trey Lyles and Shemezi Metu, let's say they do exercise those options and it goes up to about $107 million already, 
plus again whatever they do with Dante do they offer him the the they'll offer him the qualifying offer he'll turn it down then he'll become a, a restricted free agent so it'll it'll probably end up being more money than that and they can presumably they could match it I believe contractually I I mess these things up from time to time so don't hold me to it but I think that's how it would work on Dante even though he was acquired mid-season that's the that's the one thing where I'm a little bit confused on it so you're probably looking at a payroll of in excess of 115 million dollars this coming season without anything else happening this offseason just retaining the three guys that they need to retain Nimias Keita also might take a couple mil so there isn't a whole lot of flexibility in terms of bringing someone in. I don't know what they have in terms of mid-levels and exceptions and stuff like that. So maybe they could squeeze some like low to mid-priced veteran into the mix, but there's no room for another star. There's no room for another big contract. What they have on the table here is a really interesting draft asset and three or four really interesting expiring deals. So do the Kings, because again, this is sort of this inflection point, do what's best for the organization, which is probably get everything you can. Trade away Harrison Barnes for a first or a a good second and a prospect. Trade away Justin Holiday for a second. Rack up a bunch of assets. Trade away Mo Harkless for a second. Because teams want expiring contracts. That's now valuable. And teams want decent veteran players. I mean, Harrison Barnes, a lot of teams, I'm sure, would love to have him for a stretch run this coming year. Or do you pivot the other way? And you use, because what I had just described was basically sending Justin Holiday and Harrison Barnes somewhere to a contender for that contender's assets. The other part of the inflection point, and what, make whatever you will of the Rashawn Holmes part of this, is do you send out Guys like Barnes and Holiday and Harkless and Terrence Davis and Alex Len and whoever else, do you send them to someone who wants the expiring contract and try to acquire maybe what you'd call bad money coming back to try to compete? I hate to bring up the Indiana Pacers, but only because we just talked about them. That's a team that wants to unload bad money. There are plenty of teams out there that want to kind of finish off their tank. Pacers would probably be at the top of that board, but they're not the only one. Is that the option then? Unload those contracts in exchange for bad money that maybe goes two years or three years, but makes your team closer to winning in the short term, and maybe you can actually get an asset with it. So that would be you retain Harrison Barnes for whatever you know playoff push you're making this coming year, uh, but maybe you turn, I don't know, um, Harkless, who's a really very easy to trade, smaller contract Terrence. Maybe you combine a bunch of things. Maybe you pool a bunch of dudes together to get fifteen to twenty million dollars in expiring contracts. You send them out for somebody that comes back at you with you know twenty mil for two years. So another team gets out of $20 million, and you, maybe you get someone back who makes your team better. Fine, Justin Holiday's decent, but if you can upgrade him to someone who's quite good, and you're trying to make the playoffs, that's another way to do it. So the Kings really do have a lot of choices, and they could put the fourth pick 
in these decision making. I mean that you know they could throw that in if they were trying to upgrade somebody on their team. Throw that in with, I think the fourth pick is worth like what four or five million dollars in salary cap stuff. I'm probably getting that number wrong. I'm almost definitely getting that number wrong. I I don't know. I can't keep track of the the slot bonuses anymore or what or whatever it comes out to. Um. But suddenly now you you know you could send away a four, the fourth overall pick in the first round and another twelve to fifteen million dollars in in salary cap money and you could turn that into a decent player who signed longer term pretty fast. So which way do you go, Kings? I don't know. What I do know is that at the start of next year, De'Aaron Fox is going to be playing, and he's going to be playing a lot. And we're going to have the same crap happen all over again where Fox and his clunky foul shooting and high turnovers and good steals number and high scoring clouds the fact that there are parts of his fantasy game that drag him down. He doesn't hit many three-pointers. The free throw number is bad. The turnover number is bad. People don't care about those because his field goal percent is slightly better than the average point guard. And he scores a lot and assists a decent amount. Not a ton, but decent. Darren Fox is number 93 on a per-game basis this year. He played in just 59 ball games. I do think that from the durability standpoint, we can probably not worry that much about it once we know what the Kings are doing this coming year. Like, if they, if they trade away a veteran, other than Rashawn Holmes, that one's one, that's like a freebie. Do whatever you want with Rashawn Holmes. He doesn't fit anymore. But if they trade away, say, Harrison Barnes in the offseason, then you know this is a team that's not that committed. They're not going all in on making the playoffs this coming year. So, like we saw this season, shutdown stuff then would actually be a real risk. If in the offseason the Kings bring back Dante DiVincenzo and make really no other moves, I think at that point you could say, all right, this team is going to try to go for the play-in. And so I wouldn't worry as much about the durability stuff. And then you kind of take it as it lies presumably they would hang within a few games of that 10 seed most of the season with the current roster. They're not good. They're not good, but they're not bottom of the barrel bad when Fox and Sabonis are both in there with Barnes and Justin Holiday and Dante DiVincenzo and Davion Mitchell and whatever. Like they've got enough to compete for a play in spot. I don't actually care if they make it or not. We just need them to compete for it on the fantasy side. Demonis Sabonis is a pretty easy fantasy player to handicap. Um, you know, he's going to be he's going to be Demonis Sabonis. He's going to be a big man who rebounds like a you know what. Um, he's going to score a decent amount in Sacramento because he's going to be one of the top two options, just like he was in Indiana. Like the, the, all that stuff is pretty easy to handicap for Sabonis. The only thing that would fluctuate for Demonis Sabonis is percentages. Does the free throw percent look really bad? Uh, Do the turnovers get too high? Does the field goal percent fluctuate up or down? He'll be in that 35 to 65 range pretty much every week. Really reliable fourth round kind of per game guy who was going way too early in basically every draft um, based on what? I don't know. Like, the fact that he's can score, rebound, and pass is delightful, but he doesn't do much in the way of, of defensive stats. Field goal percent is good. 
that's good. But free throw threes, t- turnovers are all kind of low for him. So it does it does cap the upside a little bit. But he'll be fine. Like, he'll probably get overdrafted. He'll probably get drafted in the third. I don't think I would take him until the fourth. But whatever. Like, he, he'll be relatively safe. If you pick him at uh, 36 and his per game is 50, but he's somewhat durable, like, that's fine. That's not going to break your team. It's not what I would do, but it's not going to break your team. I'd rather get him at, you know, 45 or something like that, which probably doesn't happen. De'Aaron Fox, on the other hand, scares me a ton. He's a, a high upside, very low floor fantasy play who down the stretch again, this is the same thing that happens with Fox every year. He starts the season terribly and then everybody else around him like falls prey to whatever tanking illness, you know what? And then he goes nuts and he takes 25 shots a game and he goes top 35 for like three weeks. And that's all any of us remember. But no, we need to remember the other stuff too. Yeah, he was top 30 the last month he played this year, but he was shut down. And the previous three and a half months he played this season, he was outside the top 100 because the free throw stuff sucked. Because the scoring wasn't enough and the assists weren't enough to counterbalance the fact that he was only making 1.33s or 1.3 a game, and the steals weren't as high as usual, and the free throw percent is low, and the turnovers were high. Does he take a step forward? Maybe. Alongside Demonis Sabonis, that should actually open a few things up for Fox. He didn't really have a scoring threat alongside him. I love Tyrese Halliburton, but he wasn't the premier scoring threat of a Demonis Sabonis. Halliburton was more the -the across-the-board guy, still kind of feeling out how awesome he can be. Probably does get better than most of these guys, but he wasn't yet on the actual basketball court. Fantasy-wise, he was. (laughs) And then you got Harrison Barnes, who went from pre-trade second fiddle behind De'Aaron Fox in field goal attempts to, like, fourth or fifth for whatever reason. I don't know why this is the way it shifted. Maybe it was because Davion Mitchell got in there and he started chucking up shots But Barnes kind of stopped doing anything down the stretch. My guess is that once this team is competing again, he'll do a little bit more. Uh, But he's not someone you're taking outside of kind of the last round of fantasy drafts because there's no upside with him. Does he get back to the last couple of seasons? Most of the last few years, he was kind of hovering in that 85 to 100 range. That would be swell if I could get him at like 135, which I probably can. I don't think anybody's drafting Harrison Barnes. Nobody's racing out to get him. Dante DiVincenzo, I don't think I'm touching even if they bring him back. Davion Mitchell, with everybody healthy, is not someone I'm targeting. I am curious where he goes in fantasy drafts. I would imagine he gets drafted inside the top 100 based on how he ended this last year, but I also don't really know for sure. But I also don't think he's going to take 15 shots a game with Fox and Sabonis on the floor. It's just not enough. There's not enough left. So the Kings are kind of pared down in their current setup to just Fox and Sabonis. The other guys that'll play some minutes, if they bring back DiVincenzo, he'd be one of them. Justin Holiday would play some minutes. Mitchell's going to play some minutes. Barnes will obviously play starters minutes. He'll be the closest. Barnes would be the closest to what you'd call a maybe I'd take a shot on it. And then Mitchell behind him. Uh... I don't think you need to necessarily draft any of those guys. We've talked on this show about lessons learned and, and you know, 
opportunity is a big thing you're looking for for guys you take late in a draft. So Barnes would fit that mold. And maybe Mitchell would too if he's the starting shooting guard. Seems like he probably would be. Fox at point, Mitchell at shooting guard, Holiday or DiVincenzo at small forward, Barnes at power forward, and Sabonis at center. So the minutes would be there for Barnes. He'll play 30-plus minutes a game. But like we've seen, if he's not taking 13, 14 shots a night, his fantasy game doesn't, doesn't lend itself to top 100 value. He needs enough usage to get there because the percentages are an important plus for him and the scoring is an important plus for him. But if those... Like, if you take every shot away, it removes all three of his good categories. That's rough. Volume, he's a guy who needs it badly. He moves up and down the board quickly based on how many shots he's taking because the other stuff isn't there to buttress it. Doesn't get them any boards, doesn't get them any assists, minimal defensive stats, fine, the low turnovers, whatever. Those will hang regardless. But every shot is critical for Harrison Barnes to have fantasy value. And sort of the same story with Davion Mitchell, who, for as good as he is on ball defensively, he doesn't rack up defensive stats in that same way. And all the assists he was getting down the stretch that gave him fantasy value, he won't get all of those when Fox is playing. So yeah, the minutes are going to probably be there for those guys, but the opportunity is the other part of it. The, the usage, you need someone to be playing and to be doing stuff, or at least have the fantasy game for it to fit. At pick 144, the end of the 12th round, would I pick any of these other Kings? I'd probably go Barnes and just hope that lack of focus at the end of last year was why he was only taking nine and a half, ten shots a game, and that when this season starts, he'll go back to strong third fiddle, getting 12, 13 shots a night and hovering just outside the top 100. But again, minimal upside makes more sense in head-to-head than Roto because you want Roto, you want those guys that are 75 or better, and he pretty much has no shot to get to that. Maybe they blow it all up. I don't know. I doubt it. I think they really do want to make any kind of playoff. So if I had to guess, the Kings use their fourth pick, take somebody young. If the offer comes up for them to go get a proven asset, they might do it or they might not. But I think we just gave you their starting five for next year. And I think only two of those guys are inside the top 100 and they're probably both overdrafted. And with that, I turn you over to tomorrow's Friday weekend show. Uh, We'll cover both playoff series through the weekend. There probably should be enough time to do the next worst team on the board, which, oh boy, I hadn't even looked it up yet. Who's the next worst team behind Sacramento? Is it the Lakers? Oh my God, it's the Lakers. Huh. (laughs) Wow, didn't think I was going to get to them this quickly. Didn't realize how far they fell at the end of the year. Oh, my goodness. Worse than the Wizards. Worse than the Knicks. Yeesh. Oh, boy. Well, that'll be an interesting one. Or maybe it won't be. A little more clickbaity than information, won't it? All right. Have a great day, everybody. I'm Dan Bespris for Fantasy NBA Today, a Sports Ethos presentation. We'll talk to you guys Friday morning. So long, everybody.